Hi, welcome to Harrison's Pod Class, where we discuss important concepts in internal medicine. I'm Kathy Handy. And I'm Charlie Weiner, and we're coming to you from the Johns Hopkins School of Medicine. Welcome to Episode 70, a 48-year-old's with worsening cough. Hi, Kathy. So the question begins today. A 48-year-old man presents with worsening cough and exertional dyspnea over the past two months. He currently smokes one and a half packs of cigarettes per day, and he's done so for 30 years. So he started early and has smoked a lot. It's a heavy smoking history. Yeah. He obtains PFTs, and they show a normal ratio of FEV1 to FVC, a total lung capacity that is 75% of predicted, and a diffusing capacity that is 60% predicted. What do you think of those results? Well, we'll talk about those in a minute, but how about a physical examination? That would be helpful in this case. How so? Well, in a smoker with cough, I'm definitely interested in oxygen saturation and JVP looking for a hypoxemia and any signs of right heart dysfunction. What about the lung exam? Are you going to include that? Absolutely. I'd want to look for a prolonged expiratory phase, expiratory wheezes, and inspiratory crackles, because all of those could be helpful in understanding what's going on. All right. Well, um, I'll give you that in a minute, but what do you think of his PFTs? All right. Well, first off, with his normal FEV1 to FEC ratio, he does not have an obstructive ventilatory defect, and therefore I'm less suspicious that COPD will explain his symptoms. But I will note that his TLC is less than 80% predictive, indicating a mild restrictive ventilatory defect, and his diffusing capacity or DLCO is 60% predicted, indicating that he does have a moderate gas transfer defect. And where are those going to lead you? Um, you already said away from COPD. Well, a restrictive ventilatory defect with a normal DLCO would make me think of neuromuscular diseases. So on that list would be ALS or chest wall diseases like kyphoscoliosis. His DLCO is actually more reduced than his TLC, and that makes me think that he may have an interstitial lung disease. A CT is oftentimes helpful in this case. All right. And you wanted a physical exam, and I promise you I'd give you that. So his resting oxygen saturation is 91% on room air. His jugular venous pressure is normal. His cardiac exam is normal. You do hear inspiratory fine crackles on both sides bilaterally. And uh, there is a little bit of a basal predominance, but nothing else. He has no peripheral edema or any other signs suggesting cardiac failure. And the CT scan? A high-resolution CT scan in the chest shows diffuse central lobular nodules and scattered ground glass opacities. There's no emphysema. The pulmonary arteries and the right heart appear normal. There's no evidence of any emphysema. Sound like an interstitial lung disease to you? Yeah, it does. And like you mentioned already too, we've sort of ruled out a lot of heart disease as a potential cause of his symptoms. Okay. How do you think of the interstitial lung disease? They have a bunch of confusing acronyms. Yeah. Um, There are some known causes. So for example, based on exposures associated with systemic diseases, again, a more thorough history and physical will help with those. What are some of the examples in those categories? Well, occupational exposures would include asbestosis or silicosis. Um, Some therapies, such as radiation or drugs like amiodarone or nitroferentoin, are also known associations with interstitial lung diseases. And of the systemic disease, I think mostly of autoimmune diseases. So, for example, scleroderma or lupus or the ink-associated vasculitides. Well, let's assume for this case that he has no occupational or medication exposures, and he has no signs or symptoms of an autoimmune disease. Where do you go next? Risk factors also help. For example, interstitial pulmonary fibrosis, or IPF, is rare among patients who are less than 50 years old, so it would seem that that's less likely here given the patient's age. 
A history of smoking is nearly always present in some forms of ILD. For example, this would include respiratory bronchiolitis and disquamative interstitial pneumonia, or DIP, sometimes referred by pathologists jointly as smoking-related ILD, where smoking is really felt to be causative. And a history of smoking is also noted in approximately three-quarters of IPF patients. Does the CT help narrow things down a little bit? In some cases, it can. So for example, a lower lobe subpleural predominance is characteristic of IPF. Some of the other potentially more reversible disorders have inflammatory nodules and ground glass infiltrates, as in this case. And these changes are nonspecific, though. Again, these disorders are very confusing. Yeah, and owing to a variety of clinical presentations, as well as overlapping imaging and histopathologic findings, ILDs can be difficult to diagnose. A generally accepted central tenet of ILD diagnosis is that the combined weight of clinical data, laboratory studies, pulmonary function testing, imaging findings, and histopathology, if you're able to obtain it, are jointly required to make a confident diagnosis. But there isn't one single piece of data that confers a diagnosis alone. So what do you think of this patient? Well, I don't think he has IPF given his age and CT, but given his extensive smoking, I'm thinking he likely has either respiratory bronchiolitis ILD or the disquamative interstitial pneumonitis or perhaps the pulmonary Langerhans cell histiocytosis, which used to be known as eosinophilic granuloma. All of these disorders are directly tied to smoking. Okay, that's great. Uh, Let's get to the question now. So the question asks, which of the following treatments would be most likely effective for his interstitial lung disease? And the options are A, azathioprine, B, nintetinib, C, prednisone, D, serolimus, or E, smoking cessation. So based on our discussion, the answer in this case is E. Smoking cessation is oftentimes the only treatment that's required to reverse the inflammatory process in the smoking-related interstitial lung diseases. And patients can often start to improve within weeks of stopping smoking. What about the other therapies listed in the question? Do they have utility? Well, at this point, I would say that before resorting to the other therapies, I'd give this patient a trial of smoking cessation. And if he doesn't improve in the next few weeks to months, I'd refer the patient to a specialist who's familiar with ILDs. They're very difficult to treat. And that being said, azathioprine is sometimes used for autoimmune diseases with associated ILD. Nintetinib is an antifibrotic tyrosine kinase inhibitor that has been shown in randomized clinical trials to reduce the rate of decline of FEC, and it can slow down the progression of idiopathic pulmonary fibrosis. And while it's currently being studied in a number of different ILDs, it is not yet shown to be effective in other disorders. Prednisone is still used in some cases of ILD, but certainly would not be first-line treatment for this patient. And serolimus has been used to treat lamb, but this disease is exceedingly uncommon in males, and his chest CT is not consistent with that diagnosis. You mean lamb being uh, lymphangioliomyomatosis? Exactly. Yeah, that's a tough one to say. (laughs) Okay, so the teaching point in this case is that the combination of reduced total lung capacity and a reduced DLCO is consistent with interstitial lung diseases. In this case, the history and the CT scan was suggestive of a smoking-related interstitial lung disease, and the mainstay of treatment in these cases is at least a trial of smoking cessation. And to learn more about this, you can check out the Harrison's chapter on interstitial lung disease. This is Jim Shanahan, publisher at McGraw-Hill. Harrison's podcast is brought to you by McGraw-Hill's Access Medicine, the online medical resource that delivers the latest trusted content from the best minds in medicine. Go to accessmedicine.com to learn more.